0: Hey everybody this is Brett
1: and I'm Christian
0: and you're listening to the gilded films podcast
1: a year in review 1962 Welcome back to our podcast, Gilda Films Podcast. Uh, In the last episode, Which Picture Was Best? We discussed the five nominees from 1962. Pretty good year. We had The Longest Day, The Music Man, Mutiny on the Bounty, To Kill a Mockingbird, and the big winner, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, Brett and I did that alongside our co-host, who we'd like to welcome back. Hello, KB. Hello, hello. Good to be back. Thank you for being back. So for this episode, as always, we're going to be talking about six movies that we picked. Each of us picked two. We'll be talking about those. We will be, of course, um, giving some brief shout outs to other films from 1962 and giving our personal awards. So, uh, Brett, do you have anything to say before we
0: start? Not, I don't think so. We got some good movies to go over. So let's just go ahead and jump in.
1: Cool. So our first movie is one that KB picked and KB. You take it away. Okay. Uh, the first one that I picked was Cleo
2: from 5 to 7, which is a very interesting uh, film. It's a French film set uh, in 1962 by the director-auteur Agnes Varder. And the, the most impressing thing about this movie is that it actually takes place in real time. So it's a story of a young, beautiful woman who's waiting to hear the test results from her possibly having cancer. And you just follow her life as she goes around town. And it's very big on existentialism and also her whole tale of dealing with her whole mortality and what's important, how she's seen and how she sees herself. And um, I heard a little bit about the movie going in. Um, It plays a lot to the 50s and early 60s French New Wave. So it has a lot of those aspects to it. But um, just by having that, but also seeing people from uh, popular French New Wave films kind of make little cameos in it, that was pretty cool about it too. So um, I, I enjoyed it. Overall, what did you guys think?
0: Yeah, um, this is a movie that's been pretty high on my French film watch list for a long time. Obviously, the, the French films of the you know that French New Wave era are pretty popular and really notable for their influence. And this is one I've always wanted to watch simply because it was directed by Agnès Varda, um, and I'm not like terribly familiar with her filmography, but just her as a person is amazing you know um she just passed a year ago at age 90 and she was always so charismatic and eccentric um whether it be at awards or just in person and her collaborations with different artists um so i was really interested in that aspect of it um and really taking this idea of an existential crisis i think a lot of those movies are that deal with some of those things and mortality are so often told from the male perspective, and so having this from um, a woman's perspective and a really, really great performance from Corinne Marchand's—I'm probably butchering that name—but she's really great in this movie. Um, and you know, seeing her go through and trying to figure out how to spend what may be her last day without facing a true health crisis potentially being diagnosed with cancer and it was easy to see some of the influences really love the scene with like her kind of close-up solo I thought man that kind of reminds me of La La Land and Emma Stone's solo in that and so different things like that you can kind of see where things were coming from and noticing that Varda is really telling a true naturalistic realistic story but also experimenting with some things a little bit too and so Really enjoyed it. Two thumbs up, absolutely. Some great supporting characters that come in here and there um, and kind of influence her journey as well is pretty great too. So I loved it.
1: Um, this is my second time seeing it. I think I liked it a little bit more the first time. And that that's a natural thing with me. Um, Brett knows I had somewhat like of a hesitation to watch this. And I realized that my hesitation is because me and the French New Wave we got a love-hate romance going on. Like, yes, I love the 400 Blows, right? Is that starting? But then you get to like the whole existential feeling of life with these movies and it's like, it sometimes goes over my head, just fine. Um, But no, I like this. I like the simplicity of it. Just picking a topic of, well, she's waiting for these test results and she has two hours. So we're gonna show you what she does in those two hours to kill time before she finds out if she's sick or not. And I mean, that's simple to me. That's good writing. That's a good story. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I will admit that this somewhat went over my head. I don't know if I want to feel these feelings while watching it, of crushing my own life and mortality. And I also find that from seeing some of the films of Varda, I prefer more of her documentaries than I do her narrative features.
2: Same thing with me. Um, Her documentaries are pretty awesome for the most part um the thing that really struck me with this uh movie was the use of mirrors Mm, and how she basically started the movie like thinking not only you know her own beauty in the mirror and looking almost looking for mirrors wherever she went but just starting off thinking everybody's looking at me and how that kind of engulfed her and basically became how she lived her life whereas in a matter of time toward the end of the movie that has changed so much um
1: it was also the, with the whole like image thing it starts out in color briefly too yeah. with the tarot cards and yeah. then like, once she's like okay well now i have to wait for this news she's in every person now in the black and white sense of it all she blends in you know? yeah
2: and the um the first person shots that they gave you where she's seeing everybody looking at her. If you really look at it, it's almost like she's looking to see who's looking at her. So I, I think all that growth in that little space of time, albeit, is um, the thing that really struck me with this film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's a really interesting theme that kind of is present throughout it all. And I really... I was just really interested in seeing what would happen here and I'm not going to reveal the ending, but there was an ending that I expected and that I wanted and it was not the ending I got. Um, But I still really enjoyed the ending. Like I was happy with the ending and what came about and really the last like 20 so minutes of this movie really when um, the guy shows up, he's played by Antoine, Berce-er? I'm not sure how to pronounce his name but he kind of shows up for the last 20 minutes or so and yeah. it's just like super lively and the film kind of takes in a new direction once he comes along and so it finishes really really strong even though it wasn't what I anticipated or thought it was going to do so yeah really good um So a few things about this movie. It did premiere at Cannes in 1962. We talked about some of the themes explored, you know, the stereotypes that men subject women to, the presence of the war in Algeria is kind of common throughout the movie, especially that existential piece. Like KB said, there were cameos by Jean-Luc Godard and Anna Karina and Eddie Constantine, which is really interesting because there's another movie this year called My Life to Live or Viver Savi or something along those lines where Anna Karina's lead character and she keeps talking about how she starred in a movie with Eddie Constantine in that movie. So interesting there. And it was ranked number two in BBC Culture's films directed by women. And I've so often seen this as kind of one of those trailblazing influential movies that was directed by a woman um, and was inspiring in that regard. So I see a mission a lot for that, but Really, really good French film, not nominated for any Oscars, but in my opinion, should have been. And so we'll get to that later on as well. Yeah. Any other thoughts on Cleo from 5 to 7 before we move on? Perfect. All right. Well, Christian, I think you got our next movie, so go ahead and take it away.
1: Well, if you all thought Existential Crisis was... You know, fun. Let's talk about the world's happiest and high family. (laughs) So um, this is Long Day's Journey into Night. Night, Dorothy, Night Rose. Okay, that's a golden girls reference. There's one in there. Anyway, so this is based on the play by Eugene O'Neill and is directed by sydney Lament. It stars Katherine Hepper, my favorite actress, Ralph Richardson, Jason Robards, and Dean Stockwell. They are the Tyrone family, and they have issues okay the father ralph richardson is a washed up actor these sons are both drunks one's a thief He, he he's a bum and the mother catherine Hepburn, she loves her morphine she is a morphine addict this is set in the early 1900s so like morphine was a very popular drug back then so the film is near three hours and it is one of the most intense family dramas you would ever think of because of each of their own issues and they slowly witness their mother succumb to that morphine addiction she went away for a while they think she's fine and slowly there's hints that maybe she's starting up again on that Uh, it's not a feel-good film at all i would say no um i spoke in our last podcast that uh, i wanted to talk about performances and this has had some of my favorite performances in it of the year all four actors are incredible in this especially Catherine hepburn um and her male co-stars also but this is based on i said uh eugene o'neill's play and this is as he saw his family so it is very semi-autobiographical He only wrote one comedy called All Wilderness, which is the opposite of this play, which is how he wanted to see his family. So take that as you will. And what did you all think? I I don't think any of you have seen it before.
0: No, no. I I was interested. I was kind of glad you picked it because I did just read Sidney Lamette's book, Making Movies. And he was like, he was pretty proud of this one. I think he like you said, Christian, he just really, really enjoyed working with these actors. Mm -hmm. Um, And really interesting that, you know, this was, it's adapted from a play and they use that same exact script from the play. And anytime that happens, my biggest fear is that this is just going to feel like a filmed play. And so like, if that's not the case, then why not just literally film the play? Um, It didn't really feel like that to me for the most part. I think he does some interesting things with the camera and the location to make it, open up a little bit yeah because most of
1: this takes place at their house yeah
0: yeah and you know he does some interesting things with that there are some shots where he's kind of following Katherine Hepburn in like a circular motion and you can tell he's really trying to open it up a little bit I don't know it this movie is like on the border of like like and dislike for me I do slightly like it but I almost don't it's it's the length is really felt for me and Sometimes like the melodrama is just too much. And you know, we're going back and forth between all these monologues. And I mean, it's based on the play. So what do you expect? But at times it's just almost like too much. Um, and I was ready to kind of like get to where we're going. But like you said, Christian, the performances are phenomenal, and that's kind of inarguable for me. Katherine Hepburn nominated for best actress. Really, I know, should have been in the running for that award, um, but that was a stiff competition. And it's not often, you know, Jason Robards kind of ruled the roost in terms of best supporting actor in, you know, especially the 70s and some of the 60s. But I think he's actually upstaged a little bit by Dean Stockwell here, who I thought was really great. He's Stockwell is the most subdued of all four of them by far, and that feels really, really needed um when the other three are kind of just really going all out and so yeah really great performances from all four um can't complain about any of that but i wouldn't have minded like 30 minutes to an hour being cut off of this so
1: or slap an intermission on it
0: yeah yeah you know maybe that too so
1: i'm sure the play
2: had one so why not put one here i
0: think the play is
2: in four acts
0: (sighs) wow yeah interesting I don't know KB what do you think?
2: Um funny enough despite the time I really enjoyed it. I had heard of the play but I had never seen the play or the movie itself. And to me the thing that stands out here is the acting. It's the only reason that you stay in it for that time. Of course you have Lamette's direction and so forth but um just the way they're interacting and you can tell just by the way it's done that this is a play it's Mm -hmm. it's done very much the same way like 12 angry men is where it's mostly in a single room but even as they move and they open up the play itself um you know to make it more hollywood just the things that they're dealing with between their various addictions, which, I mean, you could have basically called the movie that. It, it's pretty much all about addictions. Um, it's it's just so well acted. I mean, you start off with a heavy hitter like Hepburn and, and you just go from there. And it was really interesting to me to see a young Jason Robards and a young Dean Stockwell. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this uh, where they acted at a young age to this caliber
0: yeah no robarts kind of has like a classic movie star demeanor and voice to him in this movie that was definitely admirable as well so he almost
1: feels like a less grumpy humphrey bogart
0: yeah 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 <laughs> i have to say though one thing that just immediately came to mind for me and i don't know why Uh, Hepburn and Ralph Richardson, their characters in this, they are totally the type of people that would bitch about COVID on Facebook right now. (laughs) Undoubtedly. So, but I don't know. That's funny. Yeah. Christian, do you want to go over some of the fast facts or fun facts? Sorry for this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like one of the multiple times you said fast fast. It
0: is, I don't know what it is, whatever. So this
1: only got one nomination at the Oscars and it was for me, it was for Katherine Hepburn. Hello everybody, you've heard from your friend James Mason, well it's now time to hear from me. I didn't win, of course, but it was one of my many, many best actress nominations. <laughs> that was bad. In the moment, I know how to do that accent well. <laughs> anyway, so all four of them, um, one Best Actor, so three guys and Catherine, won Best Actor and Actors at Cannes uh, Film Festival that year. Big deal, yeah. Uh, the screenplay, like I said, is from uh, Eugene O'Neill's play. He was awarded the Pulitzer Prize posthumously. I believe he actually died more than a decade before this play even came out. Oh. Yeah, that's the fun thing about that. He had already been dead. It was produced in Sweden first because Sweden liked his plays more than they did in the United States. So, Lumet and the cast agreed to work for a lower fee in exchange for a percentage of the film's profits. Um, Filmed completely in sequence, which I mean, obviously, I would definitely have done that. Because you start out with like sort of a normal family and it breaks apart very easily, very quickly. And Marlon Brando was originally offered the role of Jamie Tyrone, who went to Robards. And as we know, Brando, he decided to get on a ship called Bounty and <laughs> stage a mutiny. And it took forever to get that damn mutiny. But <laughs> so that is another episode. <laughs> Gosh,
0: which you can listen to. Though.
1: Indeed, it's the one before this. <laughs> yeah, that's a long day's journey in tonight. It's not the feel-good movie at all. Believe me, no, no. not at all.
0: But yeah, long day's journey tonight. Definitely um, an interesting Lumet picture and one we're checking out. So,
1: did I just want to say because you did say that you read his book? Did he, what? Did he say anything interesting about the production of this at all?
0: Not a whole lot. He just, I, he talked a little bit, if I recall, about the script and about that process of just going with that because he was like, okay, he read the script and was like, this is something I want to make. Like, this is something I long for. And he said he just really enjoyed working with Hepburn. He talked a lot about her and how great she was in the movie and, um, you know, that one of those things where he talked a lot about actors being cast perfectly or being miscast and him saying this is one that was cast perfectly. Um And so not a whole lot of like backstage stories or anything like that. But like I said, he held it in pretty high regard. Um It almost sounds like,
1: still. it almost sounds like this one was very easy for him to get through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just one where he, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it a passion project, but one that kind of came to be that way for him. So, all right, Christian, go for it.
1: Well, if you thought families with addiction problems was fun, <laughs> let me tell you about our next film. Cause our next one is the feel good film of the year. It is mama Roma. All right. <laughs> it, believe me. Okay. I don't think, did any of us pick a comedy for these No. No, okay. Well, it tells you what 1962 is about. So Mama Roma is directed by Pier Paolo Pasolini. I'll talk about him in a second. But it stars Anna Magnani as Mama Roma. She's an ex-prostitute, and she's raising her son. She wants the best for him. Uh, She sells vegetables, and then her son discovers that, hey, mom was once a lady of the evening, a hooker. And he doesn't really like that. And because of that, he sort of gets away from her and the good business she's running and becomes this little petty theft and yada yada. He turns to the dark side, pretty much. He's very resentful. And, you know, she's just trying to raise him and make it the best possible life. This is Italy. It's 19, I believe it's supposed to be set in the present, so 1962, but it's less than 20 years after World War II ended, but you still feel that sort of neorealism that Italy is known for. You feel sort of the decay of the buildings. It's still very much coming back together still. And it's been this long. It starts out, it I think it does start out a little bit past before 1962 and then it comes to modern era. But yeah, um, very deep film. I picked this, I don't know, I like Italian films. Again, with my French, my French new wave, I prefer the neorealism stuff french so we lost the audience there <laughs> it's not <laughs> always me who's doing this but yes so what say y'alls this is and this was a somewhat hard movie to find i think i had it recorded from like a year ago from tcm and that's why i picked it too i wanted to watch it finally yeah
2: yeah first of all i'd like to thank you for giving me a challenge for finding this one <laughs> <laughs> but um Luckily, there's a lot of people in Russia who like this movie. That being said, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, um, it was very interesting. I went through a phase where um, I was very big on Italian movies and always looking for new ones, especially from the 60s. Um, that seems to be like their best period Think divorce Italian style that so forth. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised with this one. Um, the lead actress, I cannot say her name.
1: Anna Magnani.
2: OK, thank you. You have fun with that. Um, I I think she did a really good job of showing the conflict, the inner conflict between trying to move on and literally getting pulled back in. I just think of that line from the Godfather movie. But um, I don't know. The kid that played her son just rubbed me the wrong way. Yes. I don't know what it was about him. I was like, man, you need to get beat up.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> literally, somebody really needs to beat you up and you need to literally be the man of the house and get yourself some, you know, he, he had that job for a little bit there, but, you know, it was just really to have his mother be proud of him and whatnot. But at the same time, I was like, if you're old enough to chase girls you're old enough to
0: get a job yeah no i i agree um you know anna magnani the italian meryl streep um, i mean i mean if you look at her (laughs) she looks just like her like not even kidding um yeah she's really good i i really enjoyed her but i agree kb the sun in this, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, it is realism. So a lot of these actors are, you know, non-trained, non-professional actors, but just could not get into his performance. Couldn't really get into his character. And it, the film really wants us to, because it presents him almost as if this, you know, he's a good kid, but he dwindles into a life of petty crime. And I didn't get enough of that personal transformation uh, from being simply,
1: I, like didn't really care about him I wanted more Anna yeah, yeah. no same yeah
2: I almost thought he was doing it because he was bored because I mean there wasn't a lot going on in that town so it, it just felt like he got in with the wrong kids and then just decided to like run with it from there
0: yeah exactly and so maybe that's the biggest problem I have is that the film doesn't focus where I would prefer for it to focus I mean I you know mama roma she's the lead character but there are definitely stretches of this film where she is not present and that's felt um there's also this like really interesting thing about the quote-unquote hicks versus like the people who live in rome hmm. and i'm like i want to know about that like i don't know wh- what is this you know why you know why are they using this terminology what is what are they going for here and you know it's just kind of a passing thing Did fact, you don't if, see
2: the wedding <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's that
2: I said, did you not see the wedding?
0: Yeah, but like that's like, it's it's the wedding, and they're they're having fun with it, and then but like that term keeps coming up throughout the movie, and that's the only exposure we get to it.
1: Well, it's like so, you're supposed to know it beforehand, but like, hey, Pasolini, we <laughs> we don't know what that means,
0: and and probably for folks in Italy at the time, it probably made a lot more sense. So I I give it, you know, that's not something I would like ding it about on a rating, but something where i could use a little more focus but i don't know i i'm like christian i love italian neorealism that's like my favorite film movement probably i really love the stuff from the 40s and so this is kind of tail end i don't really like it as much as that stuff but i still enjoyed it i enjoyed how it kind of sympathizes with the sex workers in the movie um because mama roma is one or was one and you know um it may not be the perfect portrayal, but it's a lot different than you would typically see in 1962 or even today. So,
2: There's one thing they did really, really well, and it was basically the way they captured the walk home. Yeah. And they did that uh, a few times, um, not to go into it too much, but just the way they captured that, and it was almost like, I don't want to say it was breaking the fourth wall, but it almost gave you that type of mental feel that that's what they were trying to say. Like, hey, I'm giving you insight into this woman's life so that you can understand it. So I really, really liked the way they did that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: You want me to read the
0: fast- Yeah, fast? go for it.
1: <laughs> All right, so this again, directed by Pierre uh, Paolo Pasolini. This is my first Pasolini film. In full, I will tell you what I have seen, half of, uh, it was controversial, he was controversial in his own right uh, due to his blunt style and taboo topics such as sex and sexuality. I have sat through half of Salo or the 100 and whatever days of Sodom. Yeah, so I've seen half of that film. (laughs) It's something, okay? This is nothing compared to that. Uh, but this was criticized by critics and audience for its use of language as well as by fascist I'm not sure why the fascist part there is a very lengthy Wikipedia bio with him versus the fascists and then he was most likely shot and killed by fascists I just want to point that out yes um, like Brett said, consisted of mostly non-trained actors. And then I found that this contradicts Roberto Rossellini's Open City, which also has Anna Magnani in it. That's a great film, by the way, because it shows that time has changed from post-World War II where people aren't good Italians anymore, aka the one trying to rebuild their world, but instead there are whores, pimps, and thieves. Yeah, interesting. interesting. It's like we're still in this decay and crumble, but instead of being like the righteous people going to build up our town where, yeah, we're quote unquote in the gutter.
0: Yeah. It is really interesting too, how the final shot of this movie is a look on Roma and how it ends that way too. So it kind of connects there, but yeah. So that's mama Roma. Any final thoughts before we move on?
1: Real good film of the year. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Okay, so our next film is the first one I picked, and it is called The Manchurian Candidate. Um, So this was directed by, let me see, John Frankenheimer? Yeah. And um, it stars Frank Sinatra as a former um, member of, I want to say, the army. And he fought in the Korean War alongside uh, Raymond Shaw, who together, they were POWs and they were captured and taken into Manchuria and underwent a series of like tests by communists um, from China and Russia, who basically have this plot to send these POWs back to the US as if, you know, they had been rescued and they were all good, but using brainwashing techniques as a plot to subvert um, the U.S. and overthrow the government basically and so definitely you know feeding on those cold war fears um, fears of communism from China and Russia and it kind of turns into a thriller of sorts where um, Shah's mother is played by Angela Lansbury and she is married to someone who's basically going to be a presidential candidate I guess a vice presidential candidate and so she's kind of one who's kind of involved in this too. And is kind of serves as the main villain of the movie for a lot of it. Um, yeah, Shaw, basically one minute he's fine. And the next minute he um, turns into a killer, basically, who a paid assassin for the communists. And at the same time, Frank Sinatra is his superior from the army who is kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Um, they have kind of a friendship. He knows something's up. And he's having these dreams about Shaw killing his fellow soldiers, but not really sure where it comes from. And so on top of being a thriller and a conspiracy thriller, it's also a bit of a mystery because all the we're clued in Sinatra always isn't. Once again, great performance here as well. I really liked Frank Sinatra in this. uh, I was actually surprised by how much, how well he did with this role. Um, Really, really good. Great cast. You've got Janet Lee in there. Angela Lansbury is phenomenal in this movie I mean she's straight up terrifying at times and really I think it really does kind of center a little bit on some of the attitudes of that time and so let's hear what y'all think
1: I super like this movie this is like maybe my third time seeing it um I do like how it's not subtle at all with hey communism is bad because this is what they can do to us (laughs) We can take our boys overseas and brainwash them. No, that's great. Um, I love the fla- the flashback sequences and the whole realization of who's really controlling everything and how it comes to being controlled. Like what is that trigger word or object that's gonna send Lawrence Harvey over the edge and turn him into the mainstream candidate pretty much, the titular role. Um, uh, I, i know brett you texted me and said like you really love angela lansbury in this i do too she's good not my favorite of the year but like this is totally different from what i know her as i know her as the kind older lady and this she's just the cunning maniacal mother who wants the best for her son in the most villainous way possible yeah good stuff and i love frank sinatra in this he's so good
2: that's exactly what i was going to say her departure from the roles that she's played in the past really made her um, performance really outstanding in this. Um, the The sad thing about this is this was a rewatch for me. And unfortunately, the beautiful ending is something I saw even before I saw it the first time. So it it kind of takes out of watching and rewatching it for me. But um, it's actually one of my favorite endings in all of cinema mm-hmm. just the way it's done but great performances all around um i really really like the cinematography in this which is not something that's spoken about it too much but it really took you into what was happening and it also gave you and i think breck you kind of mentioned it's a sense of mystery in what was going on but um it starts and ends with Angela Lansbury in this um, just to be the everything from the doting mother to the arch villain it's just beautiful
0: yeah I you mentioned the ending and I agree like it's so good it's so intense and even if you do kind of see it coming it still is shocking the film is really violent like there's it's actually pretty bloody at times, which I didn't really expect, and um, it's kind of shocking in that way and really intense. and um yeah, also did not expect the karate fight in this movie also. that was kind of interesting to see from nineteen sixty two movie like this, but I don't know, so. Uh, but this did get two nominations at the Oscars. Angela Lansbury was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and did get nominated for Film Editing. Editing is also really, really good here. Based on the 1959 novel from Richard Condon, um, it was originally listed on the AFI's 100 Years 100 Movies at, night, at number 67, but it was removed for the 2007 edition. So... Who do we get to update that, though? <laughs> yeah, good point. It They're overdue. Um, but it is number 17 on their 100 thrills and Angela Lansbury's character, Eleanor Iselin, I can't remember how it's pronounced. Um, she's number 21 on their list of villains, even though she was only three years older than Lawrence Harvey, who played her son in this movie. Well, I mean... Typical Hollywood.
1: Also, if we were going with what the book says those two do. Yeah. Ooh. And okay.
2: they they don't really get into that, but um, Yeah. They try to make, like, little, mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> of it.
0: Interesting. Ooh, okay. Um, and I found it interesting that Sinatra was considered by the crew and the cast to be really pleasant to work with on set, um, despite some of the things that had been said. And usually his best work was on the first take. So,
1: Sinatra, the biggest diva. It, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's The Manchurian Candidate. Definitely the political thriller of the year. Any other thoughts before we move on to our next one?
1: The remake is incredible, I will say.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: I liked it. I just watched it a few days ago.
0: Denzel. All right. So our next film is 1962 John Ford feature, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And so, this film is the story of Ransom Stoddard, who is a U.S. senator who has a very illustrious political career, um, looking at possibly a vice presidential candidacy, and he visits this old western town for the funeral of his old friend, Tom Donovan. And from there, the film goes directly into a flashback where the bulk of the story takes place, and we learn about Ransom Stoddard being a young lawyer moving into this town, this old Western town, kind of a city boy, fish out of water type thing. Um, And it comes acquainted with Tom Donovan, who is played by John Wayne, as well as um, Hallie Stoddard, who is, well, it's not Hallie Stoddard at the time, but Hallie, who is played by Vera Miles um, and gets involved with the town, opens up his own legal practice, starts teaching children. But... Even before he gets into town, he runs into Liberty Valance, who is this notorious outlaw played by Lee Marvin, who is absolutely cruel, terrifies the townspeople, and nobody really wants to take on their jurisdiction to put him behind bars. And so a lot of the movie is a little bit about myth and nostalgia in the Old West, but um, You know, as time goes on, Ransom Stoddard, who I didn't know if I mentioned, he's played by Jimmy Stewart. um, He decides that he's probably going to have to have a showdown with Liberty Valance. But this is someone who has rarely ever shot a gun before. And so as things kind of come to that climax, we learn a lot about him and his place in the town, as well as the place of Tom Donovan, who is really kind of the hero of the town. Everybody likes him except for Liberty Valance. And um, how their roles kind of change as this all kind of comes about. And the the difference between truth and myth, I guess, is what I'll say without revealing what happens in this movie. So I love this movie. I think it's one of John Ford's best movies for sure. I think the only two I would put above it are probably Stagecoach and The Grapes of Wrath. Aside from that, this is one of the great all-time Westerns that really has a lot to say about these two characters and about some of the themes that I've talked about. And so really interested to hear if you guys enjoy this as much as I do.
1: Uh, This is my favorite Western. There we go. Yeah. uh, So I took a community college class over films, and this is actually one of the films that we watched in there. And it blew me away. I'm not like a big Western fan at all, but it's between this and like Stagecoach and the remake of True Grit. Um, I love Jimmy Stewart in this, even though he's probably a little bit old to be playing a young character. Love John Wayne in this, even though John Wayne is not that much of a likable person. (laughs) Pilgrim. I love that he says Pilgrim in this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's the best thing ever. But no, this has like a really good story. It's sort of... The whole situation of statehood kind of bogs me down a little bit because I don't really... I mean, I get that as an important part of this, but I don't really care about it. The entire build up to the shootout's really fun. I don't know, it's just a really good movie for a Western. I'm, and it's weird to say because my favorite Western, this isn't about, you know, as they would say, cowboys and Indians. It's about a simple town who they're just trying to get out this bad guy. And here comes this every man who maybe he's the one who shot him. He's the man who shot Liberty Balance. <laughs> and then there's statehood issues. And I don't know. It's a simple movie. I love it. Yeah.
2: I, I find it funny that we all put it third above other John Ford movies. But they all difference. Mine would be Stagecoach and The Searchers. But that's just me. Um, I I really like this film. Um, I think the performances are great all around. Um, especially from the actors versus the actresses, uh, John Wayne, this, this role is pretty much made for him. Mm -hmm. And it was the best thing about him in a supporting role is that he could still pull off the nuance that he does in all of his roles that he stars in. So that speaks more to, I don't know, his acting ability than anything else. Um, as far as the other performances, they're good. Um, not being a fan of, like, westerns as far as a genre more than anything else, it's one that kept my um, kept my interest. And I don't know. I, I think the the whole thing that the, like you said, the lore and the legend, it's in the title. You know, that's mm-hmm. probably how it went on to be told for generations afterwards, even in the last scene. It's like anything for you, you know, the man who. So I, I think that's it's almost like, hey, you want to see how a legend is started? And then the fact that they showed you that things aren't as they always appear. So I, I think that really added to it as well.
0: yeah. I, yeah, I mean, because if you think about it, Ransom Stoddard, big time politician in this time, he he may not have any career at all if he's not known as the man who shot Liberty Valance. Um, that's you know that's what that's what gets the townspeople to vote him as their representative. And so it's really interesting. I think the film, it, you know, sometimes it may slow down a little bit when we're getting into the statehood stuff, and it's very political. But you can kind of see how those two narratives work together. Um, And especially when, I'm not going to reveal what they talk about, but when Tom Donovan visits Stoddard as they're choosing him as a representative and they talk about that night, that's just an amazing scene. It's a really interesting scene that gets down to that topic about truth and myth. And the way the film uses flashbacks to tell that is phenomenal. So really great uh, stuff so
1: uh edmund o'brien in this as the newspaper man doing his best thomas mitchell impersonation from stage <laughs> for the longest time i thought that was thomas mitchell until i realized he died in 1962 <laughs> Oh and then wow. and then andy devine i think it's andy devine who actually sold me on this movie just from his voice alone Yeah, I just wanted to point those out, and then of course, because we haven't even spoken about Lee Marvin in this, he's such an asshole as Liberty Valance. True. Yeah. Perfect in this.
0: He plays it well.
1: And I will say the one memorable thing in this movie—I don't know if you all noticed it, but I always notice it. Maybe because I'm always hungry watching this movie—are the (laughs) stakes.
2: Absolutely. Stakes
1: in this film are so humongous.
2: You're like, don't drop it on (laughs) the
1: ground. No, it's like you drop them round. You know how much it's going to cost. <laughs> There's a whole dinner scene and cooking scene and stuff and it's like, "Yeah, I want to be in the saloon with this steak. It looks delicious." <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk about some of the supporting characters, like some really notable names in here. I saw like Woody Strode. Um, who plays Tom Donovan's uh, he works with tom donovan and he is like the one black character in the film and i also just like woody strode because he was an nfl player and like um helped with integrating the nfl and the post-war era and so to see him in this movie doing really good stuff too is really cool as well
1: and treated uh, very well as a character too
0: yeah definitely
1: his character name is pompey
0: yes That's Pompey. Pompey.
1: yeah i mean pompey pilgrim <laughs>
0: And I do agree. John Wayne Juice of Pilgrim. Credit. Pretty spot on. It's either. awesome. It's awesome. But yeah, this did get only one nomination. Um, Edith Head, the great costume designer, was nominated for her work here. Um, it was adapted from a 1953 short story from Dorothy M. Johnson. It was shot in black and white and in Paramount sound stages, which is definitely not what John Ford def- usually did, especially in the 1950s. Um, but I did read that he actually preferred black and white to color, which is really interesting. Um, Tom Donovan was nominated for AFI's Best Heroes. Um, it was nominated for the Best Movie Quote and for their top 10 Western films, but didn't make any of those. Sergio Leone did list it as his favorite John Ford film, which is notable because John Ford is probably the greatest influence on his work as well. So really good stuff definitely check out the Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. I would say even if you're not into westerns, it's a really, really good one. Yeah. So, all right. KB, I believe you've got our final film and it is a big one. So take it away. I am
2: so surprised that Christian didn't pick this, but if he did what I did, probably wanted to watch things that he never watched before.
1: Well, the only reason I didn't pick this is because I've seen so many films. I let... Y'all's pick first. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Then I go, I go last always. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I, d- I yeah. never noticed that. That's
2: true. But the film that we're talking about is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, I think anyone who's into cinema has heard of this film before. And if not, and you're into TV series, then you probably heard of Betty and Joan and <laughs> all the drama in between that. But this was the film. That they were recording during that miniseries, but basically it's a psychological thriller, starring Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and it's the tale of two sisters. One of them is a—I uh, don't know if you want to call her actress, but I, I just say a uh, a vaudeville actress or former vaudeville actress, and she. Uh, grows up and there's an accident of some sort and she's supposed to be taking care of her sister but she's really holding her sister captive and all the drama that surrounds that and who's who might find out, the neighbor and the maid and uh, it's just <laughs> it is just one of the high drama films of all time I love it I if it's on TCM or anything like that I check it out the makeup here is, <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know how to describe the makeup, but Baby Jane Hudson is definitely one of those uh, all-time characters.
0: Absolutely. Um, so this was my first time watching it. and Really? Yeah. No, I mean, it's been one that I've, I've been, it's one of those, it's been on my list for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've begged you to watch. Yeah, you, you're n- you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And I gotta say, to be completely honest, Freaking loved it. It was so <laughs> good. Wow.
2: You're you're about to scare me. There, <laughs> if he came in and said that he hated it. I was gonna be like, what?
0: What? <laughs> I I I love it because you know, KB. As you're going through and describing it, it it's one that like. We kind of chuckle at but that doesn't mean that you know i'm not taking it seriously it's one of those films that just elicits that reaction like you take it seriously and it's fun but it's also so campy in the best way um and it really works i mean betty davison betty davis and joan crawford it's amazing that this film is like on par with the drama that was happening off screen um, and that, you know, it, it's it's as entertaining as that story is. But Betty Davis is just something else here. I mean, you know, de- definitely probably, you know, my favorite performance that I've seen from her. And same with Joan Crawford. I, you know, she's phenomenal here um, and playing two very, very different roles too. Um, you know, I enjoyed it from start to finish. It's just like one of those endlessly entertaining movies, wanting to know what happens next, and not really knowing where it's going to go, the way it kind of plays with different genres, being a psychological thriller, but almost also just being like, crazy, you know, it the, the, the film basically matches Baby Jane's insanity as a character, um, and I think that's why it works, like, way to go Robert Aldridge, and so, Christian, I want to hear you talk about this too, because I know you love it. And I know that you are basically a specialist in the Betty and Joan feud. And so I want to hear your thoughts
1: i actually thought i was a specialist until um a former co-host of ours dear toby he is a uh, all up more on this because he's actually purchased a book through it and read it so but i will try my best yes this is one of my favorite films i watched it well so my dad's friend who has um since passed away he let me borrow this and a bunch of other movies and i was like mm, none of these look appealing well, i'll give the baby jane one a try I put that in when I was young and I was like, holy shit, what is this movie? It's kind of great. Didn't finish it, had to give the movie back. So it took me a while to like get to the ending of this. Yeah.
0: painful, wow.
1: I know. So when Betty and Joan, The Feud Show was announced, I was all up on that. But no, those two had never worked together. This is their first time working together. Sort of big Hollywood divas in their own right. I would say Joan more so. Joan was let go by a bunch of studios. Betty was as well. Um, but no, when you have two divas clashing on the same film to get, you know, their moment to shine, but the film is really focused more on, obviously, Baby Jane, who's Betty Davis in this, Joan has a little bit to say. Um, I will say watch the miniseries. It's good. I'm not sure how accurate it totally is, but you get to really know and understand them. Um, yeah, yeah.
2: That's the rest of your homework, Brett. You got to watch that many series. Yeah.
0: True. Also, say, another plug for uh, um, Karina Longworth. Um, you must remember this. Yes. Great series on Joan Crawford, too. So.
1: Mm-hmm. And I will say, I think it might be on Hulu because they just have that FX. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, because I want to really see it. I've only seen it once through. Um, But no, and then I spoke about in our last episode that there was a whole campaign for Betty... Of against Betty, supposedly that Joan orchestrated to make her lose, because it would have been Betty would have won her third, and at that time it would have been the most wins. Um, Catherine Hepburn hadn't what she have at this point one. Wow. Yeah, so Betty would have been on top. But yeah, and and because of that, there is a sort of semi-follow-up movie to this called Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which Betty and Joan were gonna be in. But because of what happened, Betty literally and Joan was cast and she went to set, but Betty really pushed her out of that film. And Joan never survived again. She made her last film was Trog in like 1971, which is not a bad film that's weird as hell, but it's fun. Um, <laughs> Um, and then she died in the late 70s. I think it's 77. But yeah, and Betty's career sort of like had a new reemergence after this. Yeah, but no, I've always loved this film. It's great. I really love, I love them both. But Betty Davis is just like incredible in this. Mm-hmm. This is much to my love of like Gloria Swanson as Norma Desmond. You see these women on top slowly, slowly spiraling downwards and like, I love me that as you wrote here, because I forgot the term, but I hear it as the psycho biddy. love it
0: yeah yeah um my favorite story that i've read from their whole feud and you can tell me if this is accurate or if you've heard of her it's accurate or not but that um since it was joan crawford yes that was married to like the pepsi guy um ceo of pepsi or whatever and so betty davis had a coke machine installed on set (laughs) That's the stuff of legend. Like, that's amazing. Trolling Ready. next level. Uh, that's my favorite story from that whole dilemma. But,
1: but you are Blanche. You are in the chair. <laughs> I had to get that in.
0: Absolutely. Well, this was directed by Robert Aldrich. Um, it did actually have one win. Uh, black and white costume design, which I feel is definitely deserved. Um, four additional nominations Betty Davis for Best Actress, uh, Victor Buono, am I saying that correctly, for supporting actor, cinematography for black and white film and sound. So pretty good showing at the Oscars. It's based on Wait, a novel. Yeah, I go just ahead. Can
1: say, did you both know that Betty Davis's daughter is in this?
0: I didn't know.
1: Okay, so she is the neighbor girl, the one with her mother who they're watching. Oh. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, like, their movie they're actually watching is an actual Joan Crawford film.
0: That's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, it was based on a novel by Henry Farrell. Um, like Chris said, especially for Betty Davis, led to revitalization of her career. Um, originally received an X rating in the UK because of its controversial plot, which is interesting. It originally had mixed reviews from critics, which really doesn't surprise me. Uh, but it did make a good profit and became a cult film favorite. As Christian said, it's responsible for the proliferation of the psycho bitty featuring, quote-unquote, psychotic older women.
1: Our good friend Zay could tell you a lot more about that.
0: <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Um, and Baby Jane Hudson, number 44 on AFI's top 50 movie villains. I would probably put her higher because I feel like that's pretty iconic, but... Glad she's on there.
1: Written a letter to daddy. <laughs>
0: oh, God. <laughs> oh, yes. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? It's great. Like, we all love it. Um, so check it out if you haven't already. Any final thoughts on that before we go into some honorable mentions?
2: Always worth the watch, and you definitely need to watch a miniseries. That's your
1: homework assignment. Perfect. This is one of those, if you were to make a list of, like, movies that... People who don't really want to watch, quote unquote, the classic movies, this is one that's like, no, believe me, this is really, really good. It's enjoyable. You will get into it. Yeah,
0: definitely. Okay. Well, we do have some honorable mentions here. I have to say, I thought 1962 was an amazing year for film. Um, Just some of those that are included here in the honorable mentions as well. First one I've listed here is Ivan's Childhood, Russian film from Andrei Tarskovsky feel-good movie of the year. Checking out. (laughs) Don't take that seriously. Um, Great anti-war movie. Uh, We also have The Miracle Worker featuring Academy Award winners Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke in their respective roles.
1: Did you end up watching that? I did. Okay.
0: I did. Good, not
1: great. Good, not great. Water, Helen. Water.
2: (laughs) Good good performances by both of them. That's about it.
1: Definitely. I want to say the entire first time that they encounter one another during the dinner sequence where she's like everybody leave the room we're going to teach her how to eat is so intense I love
0: it yeah it is it's extremely intense Um, we also have Carnival of Souls which is pretty pretty essential for those of us here in um, eastern Kansas so why? um, Why? it's a horror, horror film directed by Herc Harvey who uh, filmed this movie here in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, in fact, our old soundstage at our film program here at KU was named after him. And so it's kind of like a Twilight Zone-esque black and white horror film. Really good movie, really fun um, and interesting too. And well shot, despite being very low budget. Uh, we have Days of Wine and Roses, which Christian, I know you saw.
1: KB, have you seen it? Yes, love it the performance of jack lemon in that movie if gregory peck wasn't a thing my thank you thank you it's so intense and so beautiful and so heartbreaking and it's personal to him because he admitted that he was an alcoholic so
2: didn't he say like his uh he grew up with alcoholic parents or something like that
1: yeah and then also blake edwards who's known for like comedic films this is like a serious topic for him too yeah victor
2: victoria pink panther series Mm. those
1: kind of things
0: interesting Hmm. we also have period of adjustment which i've never heard of
1: um so it was on tcm and it's an early jane fonda film and i watched it because i love her it's based on a tennessee
0: williams play i didn't like it (laughs) (laughs) fair enough yeah um david and lisa also never heard of it
1: So it was nominated for Best Director. Oh, I did see
0: that. Never mind.
1: Yeah. Um, It's on Amazon Prime. For those of you who want to seek it out, I don't recommend it. (laughs) It's about a, to say, sort of a outcast who meets this girl with multiple personalities because they're both sent to, like, you know, the clinic. And they meet, and he tries to blossom himself I didn't like it it's a weird nomination for best director that's for sure
0: interesting yeah all right um, so we also have um, I I don't know how to say it Viva Vivre Savi, but it's my life to live in English another new way film was that good okay yep um, this one from Jean-Luc Godard. really really like I thought it was great yeah um, basically like 12 chapters in a few days of a life of a woman who um, eventually becomes a sex worker. So you like it?
2: It's a good one to watch with um, Mama Rosa put them back (laughs) to back.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Also not a very good feel good movie. So make sure you're prepared for that double Mm -hmm. feature. Um, But a feel good movie, I will say happy anniversary, a short film. Um, I love it. Christian. Do you know the name of the director? I can't remember. Pierre okay. Etat, something along those lines. It was another French movie, but really good, really funny French film, um, short film.
1: I can't, find it. I can't find it.
0: It's. I'm pretty sure it's Pierre or something. I'm not it's sure. It's and it's
1: funny. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um. We also have Gypsy.
1: I had a dream. <laughs> A dream about Gypsy. They miscast Rosalind Russell. They should have gotten Merman. <laughs> and yet, I've seen this movie multiple times. So
2: okay. You didn't think she was too old for that role?
1: She was, and I hated that she couldn't sing. Mm. But I love Natalie Wood in it. Yes. Yeah. So cute.
0: Um, Another short film, my personal favorite short film of all time, is La Jete, which is um, actually mostly told in still photographs and narration. Dark movie. Really good, though.
1: Very well done. Yeah, it's cool how they did that. I mean, like Brett said, all still images.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the first James Bond movie, Dr. No, this year.
1: i was so happy to see you
2: put that on the list because um it it needs to be acknowledged
0: definitely i almost thought about picking it for us to watch honestly but uh yet another french new Wave film is Jules and jim um from francois truffaut didn't enjoy it as much as the other french new Wave film from this year but it is an enjoyable love triangle movie so have you both seen it
2: yeah yeah. I, I went through a Truffaut phase and you know Criterion was my friend, so I went through yeah. most of them.
1: That's the when Brett and I took the the foreign films class, I too had my Truffaut phase. So. <laughs> That's the one that I need to rewatch though, because it's the one I was like, eh, it's all right.
2: What's yeah. your favorite?
1: Mine. Yeah. Um, I love the 400 blows, obviously. Yeah, one that nobody talks about a lot is The Last Metro, which is 80s. I think, it's yeah, like real late, really good.
2: Hmm. Um, me personally, I like, um, I'm, I'm looking at my criterion list because I know it's on there.
1: Ooh, and I will say day for night. Okay, I just had to make sure he directed that.
2: <laughs> I would say personally, I love the soft skin. And if I'm going to buy any Truffaut Criterion be, besides 400, it would be that because the extras on there are beautiful too. Yeah.
0: 400 blows. I can say with pretty much 100% certainty, we will probably choose to watch on this podcast because it's incredible. Um, the Exterminating Angel, another one I'm not familiar with.
1: Um, Luis Bunuel from Mexico.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: It's, so, KB, have you seen it?
2: Yes, it is crazy.
1: <laughs> so, uh, to give you like the brief synopsis, because Brett, you should see this. They're a bunch of you know high class hoity-toity people, and they can't leave the room, and they don't know why they can't leave the room. Oh, they keep going to the edge of the room and saying, "I can't leave." I don't know why there's, I there? there's
2: something else
1: <laughs> yeah and it's weird and it's i'm um, pretty damn good i will say. yeah okay
2: it's i i once again i was on a Boonwell uh phase after uh viviana and i watched that and i'm like what am i watching this is crazy (laughs) you you find yourself like wanting to yell at the screen like just leave (laughs) but it's 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 intense
0: amazing talking
2: about intense next
0: one all right um probably also intense cape fear we've talked about the remake from martin scorsese but this is the original came out this year
1: good did you not watch it i haven't seen it no
0: mitchum um, we also have Sweet Bird of Youth, which I'm not familiar it, with either. It won um, Supporting
1: Actor for Ed Bailey. Mm, okay. And it's another Tennessee Williams, though. So it's, you know, drama. Gotcha. You skipped over one. Did I really? Yes. Which one? The late edition, but it's Lolita.
0: Oh, okay. My doc probably didn't update. Whoops. How did
1: they ever make a film like Lolita?
0: Lolita. Stanley oh, Kubrick
1: that's all you got
2: to say that's all you got to say that's another one that when it comes on i'm just like oh i missed 20 minutes i'm good Mm -hmm. i'll watch a rest
0: interesting uh billy bud came out this year another western i believe no is it not a western
1: oh it's
0: like it's like mutiny on the Bounty.
2: It sounds like a Western oh, name. It sounds
0: like a Western.
1: <laughs> wow! Like
0: the fact that a movie called Billy Budd is not a Western. I, I think that's a problem with them. Not with me, to be honest. But... It has,
1: it has a supporting actor nom to it. And I watched okay. it in a class about morals and ethics.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then our final one we have listed here is light in the piazza.
1: It's a nice little movie with Olivia. Okay. De yeah. Oh, it's
0: nice. it's
1: a nice movie in Italy. All right. Sounds interesting.
0: So those are honorable mentions. You may hear some of those coming up in our next segments going into our personal awards. And so, yes, this is always so much fun. As always, we will go through and rank our picks for the screenplay categories, all the acting categories, best director, and of course, our top 10 of the year for best picture. Um, And so we're going to go ahead and start with best original screenplay. I'll admit I had like literally two for this one because most of the screenplays I watched were adapted. But KB, what'd you have? And what are your rankings?
2: I only had four for this one because like you said, it was very difficult to uh, come up with it. So I started with at number four, How the West Was Won. That's another uh, ensemble cast movie that was done that year. I was surprised. I thought it was based on something, but. Apparently, it was original. Um, My Life to Live at number three. Uh, Divorce Italian Style at two. And I believe, did that win original screenplay that year?
0: Yeah, I believe so. I think it won screenplay.
2: And then at number one, I have Through a Glass Darkly. This was the movie that uh, made me fall in love with Igmar Bergman films. And from there, I went to Wild Strawberries, and all his other classics.
0: Okay. Very nice. Christian, what do you got? So I only have four
1: also. Again, a lot of adapted this year. Um, by default, I guess David and Lisa, although I don't really like it. And number three, Mama Roma. Number two, The Exterminating Angel. And because I like me a good uh, Twilight Zone-esque film, Carnival of Souls is my number one.
0: Oh. Carnival Souls. Didn't think about. It. I'm actually going to add it into mine. That oh. that. There we go. And I apologize if some of these are actually adapted. I. It's so hard to tell sometimes. But it's my.
1: A, a lot of these are like inspired by an unpublished short story.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Or a teleplay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, My number four is Mama Roma. My number three is Carnival of Souls. My number two is My Life to Live. And my number one is Cleo from five to seven. And so, all right, there we got original screenplay. Let's move on to Adapted. So KB, what do you got here?
2: Uh, To honor the franchise at number five, I have Dr. No.
0: (laughs) You
1: don't have
2: that. You don't have Daniel Craig. Uh, Number four, I have the man who shot Liberty Valance. I was really, really impressed with that screenplay. At number three, I had to give a shout out. That's why I gave uh, Christian a thumbs up when he started to write Lolita. Because if you didn't mention it, I was going to mention it here. At number two, I have Jules and Jim. And then, of course, at number one, I have To Kill a Mockingbird.
0: All right. Christian, what do you got? Okay, so I have number five, The
1: Miracle Worker. Number four, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Number three, Days of Wine and Roses. I think it's based off of a book. Uh, Number two, Long Day's Journey into Night. And number one, Tequila, Mockingbird.
0: Okay, so my number five is The Manchurian Candidate. Number four is Ivan's Childhood. Number three, I have the man who shot Liberty Valance. Number two, I have whatever happened to Baby Jane, and number one, we agree to kill a mockingbird. Like literally one of the best adaptations ever. So yep. of course.
1: I just have a question: Who directed Ivan Childhood? Uh, Tarkovsky. I don't, I don't even think Tarkovsky. I've seen one. Of, I don't even think I've seen one of his films yet.
0: <laughs> this is my first one, and so I've heard this was the most accessible one. So I'm glad I started here. So. Yeah. All right, next we got Best Supporting Actor. KB, take us away.
2: I was kind of uh, torn between number four and number five because both Jason Robards and Dean Stockwell did such great jobs. So I have Stockwell at five, Robards at four. At number three, I gave it to John Wayne for doing a supporting actor role as well as he did for his leading roles in Other Westerns. At number two, and this was tough because I really wanted to give it to him at number one, but I gave Brock Peters for his performance, especially in the uh, in the courtroom, mm-hmm. number two. And just because I had to go back and watch it again, I gave Gregory Peck uh, and Cape Fear number one. That that's, That last watch put it over the top.
0: I'm really interested to see now if you're going to have Gregory Peck double winner with this. We're really interested. Not this is gonna be intense. All right.
1: <laughs> Christian, let's hear yours. All right. So I have Mr. Stockwell at number five. I have Sinatra in supporting for number Ooh. four. I support that. I support that. Interesting. Somebody tra- number three who KB didn't have, which I was actually surprised, Mr. Omar Sharif for Lawrence of Arabia. That's right. Oh,
2: I forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot he was so good
0: audible (laughs) oh
2: man honorary mention
0: (laughs) yeah there you go
1: i have number two brock peters for tequila mockingbird and my winner is jason robards for long day journey in tonight yeah
0: okay my number four i actually have antoine bersailer again i don't know but he's the one who shows up did you only have four that's the number four sorry i'm at number five Number five. Um, Number four, I have John Wayne, also in supporting for The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Number three, I have Dean Stockwell for Long Day's Journey Tonight. Number two, I also have Brock Peters there for To Kill a Mockingbird. And my number one did go to Omar Sharif for Lawrence of Arabia. All right. Supporting actress. KB, take it away.
2: I can't believe I forgot Omar Sharif. (laughs) Um, this, this was another hard category for me because I, I would say that there's only two outstanding supporting actress, uh, things, and neither one of them won. Patty Duke won, which is my number three for The Miracle Worker. Um, I have Angela Lansbury at number two for Manchurian Candidate, and he got to give it to Scout, Mary Batum,
0: mm. for
2: To Kill a Mockingbird.
0: All right. Christian, what do you got?
1: All right, so for supporting actress, I have number five, Vera Miles for The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. Number four, Angela for The Manchurian Candidate. Number three, good old Joan Crawford for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I bet she's going to come and attack me through my dreams. Why'd you put me at number three? Number two, Patty Duke for The Miracle Worker. And my winner is Natalie Wood for Gypsy.
2: Now, you see, I didn't know how to categorize um, between Betty and Joan for Actress and Supporting Actress. Yeah, that's but tough. But that's just me.
1: Well, I, I think they,
2: they were more like co-leads to me. And
1: I think, too, though, that I've heard that the studio pushed for Joan in Supporting. Mm. Really? interesting, yeah. And she didn't even get a nom. And
0: bitter.
2: <laughs> I would be, too, because if they put for co-lead, it might have split, but, you know, yeah. let, let the audience aside.
0: Interesting. All right, well, my number five is Dorothy Blanc from Cleo from 5 to 7, another one of Cleo's friends. Uh, My number four is Mady Norman, uh, who plays the maid in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Uh, My number three is Patty Duke for The Miracle Worker. My number two is Angela Lansbury for The Manchurian Candidate. And my number one, I got to give it to Joan Crawford, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I was with you, KB. Like, I struggled, and I actually texted Christian and I was like, okay, Joan, supporting lead, and he's like supporting. I'm like, you know what? She gets a win that way, so I'm gonna go with that.
1: But I gotta text Toby. <laughs> <laughs> Brett really liked her. I did.
0: <laughs> but like KB said, I also didn't think there were that many phenomenal performances in supporting actor actress this year either. So I do like
2: your list, Christian though. Thank
0: you. All right best leading actor KB take it away.
2: Here we go. This was this was a hard list. <laughs> I agree. Um I'm going to start off at number 5 with Marcello Mastroianni in Divorce Italian Style. Um at number 4 I'll give it to Robert Mitchum in Cape Fear. 3 Peter O'Toole dressed for his eyes in Lawrence of <laughs> Arabia. Um at number 2 Jack Lemmon like Christian was saying if there wasn't Gregory Peck at number one, Jack oh. Lemmon. So good. Um, so good. And such a departure when you have a comedian doing dramatic roles. It's so good.
0: Wow. So double winner for KB in Gregory Peck this year.
2: You That's said crazy. it and that I had wow. to cover my mouth. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think he had a great year. Definitely. And imagine if that happened. Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, the drama of it all. Historic. I love it.
0: All right, Christian, what do you got?
1: So, from my number five, I got Ralph Richardson for Long Day's Journey. That and was number come- six. <laughs> from number four, I got Peter O'Toole. Number three, I have Lawrence Harvey for the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. At number two, Jack Lemon. Obviously, my God, and Brett knows this, but I texted you saying, "Should Gregory have won?" <laughs> it was that conflicted Mm -hmm. Uh, but yes my number one is gregory peck for to kill a mockingbird shout out to
0: joe clay all right my number five i actually put frank sinatra in lead for the manchurian candidate yeah sorry i think Lawrence harvey's supporting but interesting
1: he's the titular role
0: yeah but we we watch sinatra's journey into discovering things so I could see it going either way. Uh, my number four is Jimmy Stewart for the man who shot Liberty Valance. Number,
1: th- Thanks, Brent.
0: <laughs> number three, I have Marcello Mastroianni for Divorce Italian Style.
1: Clearly, I have to see this movie. It,
0: it, it's a good movie. It's fun. He's great. He's great. Uh, number two, I have Peter O'Toole for Lawrence of Arabia, and I have not seen Jack Lemmon yet. So for right now, my number one is Gregory Peck for To Kill a Mockingbird. Add
2: that to your homework.
0: Yep. That and Feud, Betty and Joan. We got it. All right, KB, takes away with best leading actress. Another hard
2: category. Oh. Um, at number five, I have Anne Bancroft as Ann Sullivan and Miracle Worker. Uh, Lee Remick. I thought she did a pretty good job in the Days of Wine and Roses, but that was also bouncing off the greatness of Jack Lemmon in that performance. Because I have them as co leads, I have Joan Crawford at number three for whatever, having a baby Jane. And at number two, I have Betty Davis in the same movie. Ooh. Um, I think Betty had a lot more to work with, and I would never pick a side in that feud, but um, you know, 2A and 2B with the A going to Betty. And Catherine Hepburn, long. Long Day's Journey into tonight at number one. Um, she's the one that kept me watching. Uh, when she was off the screen, I would say, except for the last half hour, it was like
1: bring her back on the screen.
0: All right. Christian, let's hear yours.
1: My number five is Lee Remick for Days of Wine and Roses. Number four, Anne Bancroft for The Miracle Worker. Three, Katherine Hepburn. For a long day's journey tonight. Number two, this is where I put Mary Batum for *To Kill a Mockingbird*.
2: So you put her in the lead actress role,
1: okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think she was she was nominated in the supporting, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But because she's a kid, they're like, y'all can't be. Lead. Yeah. <laughs> and number one, yo, Betty Davis for whatever happened to that damn baby Jane.
0: Mm-hmm. All
1: right. My number oh my gosh, five, I'm very interested in this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I agree with KB though. Like this was very, very hard. I actually like really hard choosing my number five. I had to leave some great actresses off, which was difficult. Uh, but my number five is Anna Karina for my life to live. My number four, I also had Mary Batham here for To Kill a Mockingbird. Mostly because it's, it's her point of view. So that's a tough one. Um, number three, I had Anne Bancroft for The Miracle Worker. Number two, Catherine Hepburn for Long Day's Journey Into Tonight. My number one is Anna Magnani. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 I have Betty Davis, whatever happened to baby Jane, number one wow
1: they both got to see my face
0: i apologize to anna oh my god using her there but i just had I she
2: was hey. about to have a conuption.
1: <laughs> i did the olivia <laughs> coleman unexpectedly winning
0: face <laughs> wow Yep, yeah, of course it's betty all right. all right kb our penultimate category best director take us away.
2: Okay, at number five, I'm going to start off with a little bit of a surprise. It's three directors, Ken Anakin, Andrew Martin, and Bernard Wicky for The Longest Day. Mm. God help putting together that movie across continents, different countries, getting it all together. Uh, Sidney Lumet at number four for Long Day's Journey and Tonight. At number three, I have Pietro Jeremy for... Divorce Italian style. At number two, I have a Robert Mulligan for To Kill a Mockingbird. And not to say it was a better movie, but you got to give this man credit. David Lean for Lawrence of Arabia. Well deserved winning the Oscar.
0: Yeah. All right, Christian, let's hear what you got.
1: All right, so number five, I have Blake Edwards for Days of Wine and Roses. Number four, John Ford, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Number three, John Frankenheimer for The Manchurian Candidate. Number two, Robert Mulligan for To Kill a Mockingbird. And like KB said, give him credit because it's an amazing direction. David Lean for Lawrence of Arabia. All
0: right, we got quite a few differences here, um, aside from maybe the top. But... My number five is Robert Aldrich for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Could you imagine having to work with Betty and Joan with all that going on? I mean, (laughs) give the man some credit. Sober. Hard. (laughs) Uh, Number four, I have Jean-Luc Godard for My Life to Live. My number three, I have Agnes Varda for Cleo from 5 to 7. Number two, I have Andre Tarkovsky for Ivan's Childhood. And I wanted to give him the win, but like you said, KB, you can't deny what David Lean did with Lawrence of Arabia. So he is also my number one deserving winner. All right. I would like to say one thing. Go for it.
1: And I'm thinking back on all of these episodes that we've done. And something, let's see. I think Agnes Varda might be the only the third woman so far that any of us have put on a list behind Jane Campion for The Piano, and if anybody put Catherine Bigelow for Zero Dark Thirty.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: We'll have to look back, but
0: sadly a small list. Yeah, Mm. yep. Definitely an issue. All right, we have reached our big category, best picture. We normally just treat this as our top 10 of the year. So KB, I'll let you take it away with what you got.
2: I got five. All right. So at number five, Lawrence of Arabia. I'm sure most people will put it as number one, but we, that's last week's episode. Good. Moving on. <laughs> number four, Days of Wine and Roses. Number three, Cleo from Five to Seven. Number two, The Manchurian Candidate. And as you can expect, number one, To Kill a Market Road.
0: All right, Christian what do you got? Okay. I had to think about this. This
1: is kind of hard. All right. So the top one, not so hard, but some of these lower ones. So number 10, Cape fear, number nine, long day's journey into night, number eight, the music man, number seven, Lawrence of Arabia, number six, the Manchurian candidate, number five, because I really did like it. The miracle worker, uh, number four, Days of Wine and Roses. Number three, my favorite Western, The Man Who Shot the Liberty Balance. Number two, To Kill a Mockingbird. And number one, Whatever Happened to Baby Jean.
0: Well done. Okay, so my number 10 is Divorce Italian Style. Number nine, went with The Longest Day. Number eight, The Manchurian Candidate. Number seven, the man who shot Liberty Valance. And like going up here, I consider these all like great films. Number six, Lawrence of Arabia. Number five, I have Cleo from five to seven. Number four, I have to kill a mockingbird. I know, I know. Number three, my life to live. Number two, Ivan's childhood. And number one, whatever happened to baby Jane? If you couldn't tell from my list, I thought this was an amazing year for international movies outside the US. So,
2: I really need to see this Simon's childhood because yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden you're their PR department.
0: Ab- absolutely. This is like anti war film deluxe. Really, really well shot movie, too. So,
2: but to put it above what you put it, though, <laughs> you know what? I, I mean, I, I just look at Christian's face when you when you said that no. mm. yeah
0: i think the my bold take here is having to kill a mockingbird number four yeah that's
2: that's the one that hurt the most
0: <laughs> but you know give Set some credit, give some credit to those international filmmakers this year but yeah so you have it. i i think we all agree obviously according to our last episode to kill a mockingbird without a doubt the best best picture nominee um but we also loved whatever happened to baby jane coming out this year that wasn't nominated and probably should have been so uh,
1: before i forget and i don't know what the heck struck me to remember this there's a if you just youtube it there's a betty davis video of her actually singing whatever happened to baby jane i guess they made a theme song for it <laughs> but it's one of those like old 60s talk shows and it's one of those sort of like you know the beach movie songs it's very hip for the kids
0: interesting
1: but youtube it it's because i've seen it it's weird i don't know why i remembered it just at the last moment here
2: maybe it's what happened at the end of the movie you know before she, you know the credits yeah. roll. she just started singing <laughs> it for those beach kids those yep
0: those bobby soccers <laughs> <laughs> makes sense but yes as always thanks for listening um As always, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, gildedfilms.com. That's where I put all our episodes as well as all those other podcatchers. Thanks as always to Joshua Arnoldi for doing our theme music. Like I said, there's a lot of fun. 1962, I think it's an amazing year for cinema, for movies. As always, Christian, thanks for always putting your work into this. Um, And KB, as always, thanks for joining us for this. Thanks
2: for having me. Um, Also, if anyone wants to check out our podcast, it's called The Center Seat. My co-host, Kate, and I basically review new movies since there's none of that going on. We've been doing a series called Hindsight in 2020. We look at movies that one of us haven't seen, and we assign it to the other person. So it's been pretty cool. I think we're up to 2003 or four now. So check it out if you have a chance.
0: Perfect. Christian, any final thoughts from you?
1: None, except interesting year, like Brett said, especially for the um, international features. I will say that our next episode will be uh, diving into the psyche of my
0: childhood. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Our next episode will cover the year 2001. Um, obviously a major year for movies and the U S and the world. Major events happen in that year too. So We'll get into all that, um, cover some of those films. And as always, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you then. See you.